Hi, and welcome to the episode seven of the Anti-Reactive Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Hoppe, parent educator and counselor, mom of two, and lover of all things related to parenting. We are starting out today with our Anti-Reactive Parenting High Five. This high five was sent in from Laura H. She writes, I want to send an anti-reactive high five to my husband, Josh. As a stay-at-home mom, I often find my anti-reactive skills pushed to the limits, but my amazing husband, Josh, always steps in when he's home and I'm reaching the end of my rope. He can sense it even before I can sometimes. Josh is fantastic at staying calm, kneeling down, and getting on the same level as our children and working through whatever the problem is, and together we can be an anti-reactive team. I love this, Laura. Being on the same page as your spouse and working together so one can quickly step in when the other needs a timeout or a break of their own is incredible. And when two parents are on the same page, everything you're teaching your children about your values comes across so much clearer and stronger. I love it. All right. High five, Josh, and high five, Laura H., for working together to be an anti-reactive team. If you have a story of an awesome anti-reactive parenting moment, please submit it to be featured on the Anti-Reactive Parenting High Five segment on our website, antireactive.com. Share some accolades and inspire our anti-reactive community. Okay, time to move into today's topic, raising brave kids. Kids who are figuring out how to take calculated risks. Kids who have confidence to be independent and try new things. It all sounds great in theory, but when opportunities to foster bravery roll around, we as parents can often find ourselves shying away from the opportunities, telling ourselves, we'll work on it next time. Uh, But there's a million reasons why it's just better to play it safe in this moment instead. Raising brave, courageous kids is a topic that is frequently on my heart, and it popped up back on my radar recently after the Japanese reality show Old Enough showed up on my Netflix recommendations. In case you haven't seen it, Old Enough is a reality show that has been on for over 30 years in Japan and involves a camera crew following a young child, typically ranging in age between two to five, as they are sent out by a parent on their first errand. These little tykes are sent out into the world with a list of tasks to complete on behalf of the family, which often involve traveling a relatively far distance on foot, crossing streets, buying items at the grocery store or market, delivering or picking things up from neighbors, all kinds of tasks involving the everyday running around type things people have to do, except it's done by small children. This show reminds me a little bit of America's Funniest Home Videos as it depicts some humorous aspects of family life and the video is comically narrated by a man or a woman with a warm, jovial voice and none of what you are watching is meant to be taken too seriously, but rather is highlighting cuteness and the pleasantly unexpected. The episodes aren't very long, but sure are fascinating, especially as an American. Now, just to be clear, it is never my intention to tell you what to do or instruct you on what you need to be doing as a parent or how to specifically go about anything, because no one is better at parenting your child than you are. I am here, however, to talk about parenting topics and approach them through the lens of your values and think through them ahead of time so you don't feel like you are constantly reacting in the moment but rather planning ahead and relying on unwavering values to make your parenting decisions. So my point here is that 
teaching bravery is going to look different for every family. What you decide is best for your child will depend entirely upon your environment, where you live, your relationships with your neighbors and the people in your community, the maturity of your child, your family structure and dynamics. I mean, there's so much to consider. So no one can actually tell you a step-by-step process of how to teach your child bravery, but you absolutely can figure out what is best and what makes the most sense for your family. I often find that when topic when the topic of bravery arises, it's often discussed in extremes. It's either the world is extremely dangerous, and if you're not doing everything within your power to keep your child 100% safe at all times, you're failing. Or it's send your young child out into the world by themselves to cross the busy street, use knives, wander the neighborhood unsupervised, to foster some independence and separation so they're not living with you until they're 40, or you're failing as a parent. As in the case of many things in our world, topics like this can seem rather binary. It's either safety or it's bravery. But I don't find that to be very helpful. So how do we figure out what to do? To be an anti-reactive parent, it's important to remember that we are raising future adults. Adults who will have to be able to function in the world without us physically there all the time. We will not be there to warn, nag, lecture, or hold back forever. So it is important to foster opportunities for growth, independence, and bravery. Opportunities to fulfill personal responsibilities, explore risks, and decide which ones are worth taking and which ones aren't. All of these skills are required in adulthood, and it's our job to work on them with our children while they're still under our roof. So what do you envision? What do you hope for for your child when they're grown? What do you think bravery should look like for your child? Some children need coaxing to come out of their shells and take risks. Other children need to be taught that they have internal breaks and they need to apply them to minimize risks and, frankly, keep them alive. In what areas of life does your child naturally thrive and is already demonstrating bravery? How can you continue to foster growth in these areas as your child gets older? There's a sweet girl I know named Leah. Leah is six, and she has been taking swim lessons for a couple of years now. A major milestone towards the end of each session of swim lessons is the opportunity to jump off the diving board. For many children, jumping off the diving board is a rite of passage and a major reward for completing a six-week session of swim lessons. The height of the diving board isn't very high, hovering about a standard one meter over the water. Leah is petrified. I mean, petrified of jumping off the diving board. I mean, this whole thing has turned into a major event for Leah between wanting to be able to do the jump into the water, but also struggling to find the courage to even climb the ladder. If you were to just look at the snapshot of Leah, it might be easy to give her a label of a very official diagnosis of scaredy cat. I mean, after all, the kids in Leah's swim class have no issue climbing that ladder and doing a big jump off the end of the diving board without much hesitation. But for Leah, all she wants to do is shrink away from the entire situation. When we see kids like Leah struggle with things that we don't think should be as challenging as the child makes them out to be, it can be easy to focus on what they can't do or what they aren't doing. But with that struggle, it can be just as easy to put those kids in a box and think of them as someone who doesn't take risks and is too scared to do things in life. But does that mean Leah isn't brave? 
Of course not. Leah may not be bold enough to face the diving board yet, but this little girl is extremely brave in social situations. She is very comfortable speaking with adults and being called on in class. She is fearless when a new child comes into the classroom and she is the first to introduce herself and show him or her around. If you were to look at Leah, her social actions look effortless, but they require a lot of bravery for a six-year-old to put herself out there like she does. This is where she is already demonstrating bravery, and this is an area her parents can highlight as they work on fostering bravery in their young girl. They can point to specific social situations and emphasize to Leah what she is already able to do that is brave and enhance her confidence instead of dwelling on the areas that are the hardest for her. Because Leah makes novel social situations look easy, and all of our kids are really good at something, and they make that something look easy, it may not even be on anyone's radar how brave Leah actually is. So without focusing on what Leah has a hard time with, her parents can foster bravery by highlighting the areas where her bravery naturally flourishes. Now, some of us have children who are too brave. I'm talking about those kids that have a harder time figuring out where their limits are and when ideas pop up of something new to try, they don't think, let me stop and weigh the possible outcomes and consequences and calculate whether or not this is something I should try. No, these are the kids that jump in and say, yeah, this will be awesome, with little to no thought whatsoever regarding what might happen next. These are the kiddos that give you premature gray hair and keep you on your toes and hypervigilant. The ones you have a separate savings account for for urgent care and ER visits. And these kids are amazing. I have seen kids like these accomplish incredible things because they aren't thinking about their limits. Half-pipe snowboarders and BMX racers were these kids. Mountain climbers, adventurers, travelers, the ones who take the big risks that can yield the big rewards. But as parents, we are hyper aware of how big risks can also come with big negative consequences. If this is your kid, I just want to say, I see you, parents, and I admire you. I fully understand that when raising a child like this, you may get a lot of questions, a lot of sideways looks, probably quite a bit of judgment as your kid is about to do something risky on the playground. And I also understand that despite the uncomfortable social situations, these are also the times when your kid shines and learns to do amazing things. And here's the thing. You are their parent, the one who knows what is best for them. You know what limits to place on your child based on who they are. You know what level of supervision an extra brave kid needs to keep them alive. So how do we let him or her push their limits while also keeping them safe? Again, this truly boils down to the fact that you are their parent and you know them better than anyone else. This is highly individualized, and I'm sorry to say there is no magical formula, but as their parent, you are fully capable of navigating the tension between letting them thrive and keeping them from going too far. What you can do is tell yourself, I'm the adult, I understand the consequences, I have the fully developed prefrontal cortex, and they do not. A little tumble teaches a valuable lesson. A big fall can leave long-lasting damage. Teach them how to weigh the risk. Natural risk-takers are going to take risks. They need the little tumbles to learn the trajectory of a big fall. They are going to push the limits and see how far they can go. 
Too tight of a leash without a chance to experience little tumbles does not fulfill their drive to take risks, and they may end up taking risks in different, less desirable ways. If they don't know what a tumble from two feet feels like, they won't know what a fall from 20 feet feels like. There's decades of research showing us even a toddler understands that if a fall from two feet hurts, a fall from eight feet will hurt more. Kids are smart, and kids need to learn the consequences firsthand in order for the lessons to stick. It is hard to watch as a parent, especially when you know exactly where things are going to go wrong and that it will be a painful lesson. You can predict exactly how it will play out, and all of your instincts as a parent will tell you to save your child from the pain. But for these kids, it's what they need to truly learn, and they will be wiser for it. One of the most important ways to teach our children bravery is to model bravery for them. As adults, we all still have our fears. That may seem obvious, but it's not to your kids. They think grown-ups aren't afraid of anything. In measured ways, it's okay to let your child in on some of your fears, particularly when you are about to face and overcome that fear. My kids are at that age where they are getting tall enough to ride more of the thrill-type rides at amusement parks for the first time. Tall water slides, fast roller coasters, all of that fun stuff. They're the kind of kids who are excited to be big enough to do these things, but are also a bit scared and not sure they want to commit to getting in the line and reaching that point of no return. I had a love of these kind of thrill rides as a kid and adolescent, but as I've gotten older and really since I've given birth, I've unfortunately gotten a little bit more sensitive to the big thrills. I do know my current limits, though, and there are things I can still participate in without it ruining my day. It doesn't mean I still don't get those same feelings my kids have, though. The thought of, once I'm on that ride, I can't bail. Will I start to feel queasy and have to suffer through the next two minutes just waiting for the ride to be over and hope I don't pass out or have some other embarrassing, unpredictable thing happen? So in a way, we're experiencing similar fears at the same time, except they're coming at it from the angle of it being an entirely new experience and not knowing what to expect, and me having lots of experience and knowing all of the outcomes, what I could possibly expect. So in a situation like this, I don't make a show of it, but I do let them know if I'm feeling a little nervous. It's an easy way to connect and relate and let them know I understand, I see them, I hear them, but I am also making the choice to face my fear, take the risk, and expect the payoff to be big fun with a shot of, of adrenaline and lasting family memories. I can show them that I am nervous, but I am actively choosing bravery, which teaches them they can choose bravery too. Bravery isn't just about physical feats either. It also lives in the moments of facing social discomforts and doing the right thing, even when it seems like it will be painful. We demonstrate bravery when we say, I was wrong, or when we swallow our pride and say, I'm sorry. These are things you can normalize and as a result require within your household as it aligns with your values. In our house, we value personal responsibility and we also value grace and compassion. If someone does wrong, the expectation is a genuine apology. If you don't have a genuine apology, we need to get to the root of why. But once an apology is given, the expectation is the other party says, I forgive you, not it's okay or fine or a head nod. We look each other in the eye and tell each other, I forgive you. And then everyone knows the matter is closed. We also teach personal responsibility in that if you do something to hurt someone else, 
do what you can to take responsibility for those actions and make it right. But no one in our house withholds forgiveness because that's what aligns with our values. But as we all know, facing the music when we've done something wrong is uncomfortable. No one likes it. But we can model doing the right thing by admitting when we're wrong and when we need to apologize and even talk about how it feels and the importance of doing it anyway. It starts with us as parents. We model it by living it out ourselves, and we teach our children how to do it when it's their turn to own up to their actions. We can give them the words to use. We can talk about the uncomfortable feelings that go along with it and normalize it. So it gives our kids the strength to be brave and do the right thing. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I talked about how there are areas of life that may petrify our children, as was the case with Leah and the diving board. On the flip side, what aspects of life petrify you as a parent? This can be an uncomfortable exercise, but really think deep about where your own fears lie, because we all have them. It could be a fear based on an experience you had as a child or an experience someone close to you had. It could be based on a story you read. Whatever it is, I'm sure you have your reasons. What are your deep-seated fears? For example, I know some parents that don't allow their children on trampolines due to some scary, dangerous incidents that happened in their childhood. Another example, it was several years ago, and the same story cycles around every couple of summers. But do you remember the article that went around about dry drowning? Someone shared the story of their child who was in the deep end of the pool, couldn't swim, but was quickly pulled out, and everyone thought that the child was fine until he started acting lethargic later that night. It turned out he had inhaled a whole bunch of pool water and it was still trapped in his lungs. That story spread around social media like wildfire, and that summer, everyone I knew was worried about dry drowning. Dry drowning is a rare occurrence, but it was on everyone's mind. Those stories and these lived experience can stick with us, and it's a good thing, too. We've learned things from these horrible accidents, so we become wiser and we preserve the human species. I would never discount a person's feelings about something tragic or traumatic. A healthy amount of fear and vigilance is absolutely necessary to see our children through to adulthood. I will challenge you to, however, think about those fears that you have and think critically about what they are based on. The things you choose to hold your child back on, are they based on your child and their abilities and their experiences and their environment? Or are they based on your fear that was forged in a situation or an environment that isn't synonymous with the world your child is living in now? Going back to the story about Leah and the diving board, if one of her parents had a horrible experience facing the same challenge as a child, parental instinct might result in her mom or dad telling her, it's okay, Leah, you don't have to get up there. Diving boards are horrible sources of embarrassment or physical pain, so don't do it. But that would be a reaction based on something that happened to the parent, based on factors unique to them, and do not necessarily have anything to do with Leah. Now, I'm happy to say Leah's parents have not done this. Instead, they encourage her to face her fear in the best way to support her exploring outside of her comfort zone, but not so far she feels a total loss of control and is pushed beyond her abilities. But what I'm really asking here is, when it comes to fear, whose fear is it? Is it your child's? Or is it actually yours? 
Are there any fears you have that you are projecting onto your children that may be stunting their ability to learn bravery? If you didn't hear or catch this already, our family was a military family for a number of years, which meant we moved around a lot. We lived all over this beautiful country and have been immersed in a lot of different local cultures. One move in particular brought us to an interesting place when our firstborn was still a very young toddler. And I had never seen such projection of fears that left me quite so bewildered as the first time I stepped foot on a playground in this area. Like a typical playground, there was a smaller play structure for younger kids and a bigger one for bigger kids. And all around both play structures, parents were huddled. Not because they were talking to each other or socializing, but because everyone seemed so afraid that their child might get a bump or a scrape or a fall or violate some social norm. It was very stifling and certainly was inhibiting the growth of the skills I was expecting my child to develop when going to a playground. I had never seen anything like it. The longer we lived there, however, I began to notice that the reason these parents were acting like this and why I was given sideways glances or shouted warning about how close my child was to the edge of the play structure or how high they were climbing and that really was more about the fear of judgment passed by another parent if you weren't being vigilant enough. And that was read as not being a good enough parent by keeping your child completely safe at all times. Anyway, I share that with you to say, no child there appeared naturally scared of their surroundings. No child was pushing their own personal limits too far, putting them at risk for serious injury. I saw a lot of fear at this playground, and it was coming from all of the parents. Fears about their children getting hurt, fears about judgment from other parents, there was a lot going on, but it really wasn't about the kids. Now, fear of judgment from other parents is an entire topic of its own, and this is something we'll cover in a future episode. But all of that projected fear was a reaction and did not foster healthy bravery. Teaching our kids to be brave requires us to be brave too. We have to put on our brave face, let our kids know we believe in them, and if we didn't, we wouldn't be giving them this new responsibility. Kids totally feed off the energy put off by their parents. If you're scared or nervous, they will totally pick up on that, and this will automatically put a chink in their bravery armor. It's one thing to validate feelings of nervousness or uncertainty. That's normal and to be expected when a child, or really anyone for that matter, is trying something new for the first time. It's okay to normalize that. If they weren't a little scared, then they wouldn't be facing a call to bravery. Being brave is being scared, but doing it anyway. But bravery doesn't come into being if fear is the overriding emotion. If fostering bravery is the goal, the meta message behind the event needs to be one of confidence, personal belief, and preparedness. As a parent who makes parenting decisions with intentions and plans ahead, you can be confident in your anti-reactive parenting choices to foster and teach bravery. You know what's best for your individual child, more so than any article, mom, social media group, soapbox, TV show, or any other opinion. So I will leave you with this week's anti-reactive parenting challenge. In what ways is your child ready to stretch and take on an opportunity for bravery? If your child is too brave, how can you help him or her think more critically about their actions? As always, thank you for tuning in, and I'd love for you to join the anti-reactive community as we work through these topics together. 
You can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at Anti-Reactive Parenting Podcast and on our website, antireactive.com. Additionally, if you enjoy this podcast and think others would too, please leave a five-star review to help this podcast reach others and we can all grow together. Don't forget to follow our podcast and add it to your library so you don't miss an episode. Also, for all you fathers out there, don't forget to check out the Anti-Reactive Parenting Companion podcast, Life Fatherhood. This short-form podcast for fathers is about how to deal with challenges raising your kids and increasing your excellence as a father who leads intentionally. You can find Life Fatherhood, that's L-Y-F-E, on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Until next time, parent intentionally, plan for what's to come, and be anti-reactive. Thank you.